1: more important, convenience or caring about the environment? If you'd asked me, I always would have said, oh, I think people care about the environment. But then along came those coffee pods and those machines. And all of a sudden, it seemed like convenience was more important, because people use those things like crazy. And it took a couple of years for I think us to realize, wait a minute, that's that's a huge environmental waste factor that's going on there. So now disposable coffee pods are, you know, getting a lot of scrutiny and attention. They're a huge source of trash. Different people have been thinking about better ways to do this. And one researcher at UBC believes that he may have found a solution that not only helps the environment, but also keeps your coffee tasting better too. So joining us now to talk about his green coffee pods is Zach Hudson, assistant professor and Canada research chair in sustainable chemistry at UBC. Zach, thanks for being with us this morning.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So why did you decide to do something about this?
0: So uh, the original idea came from uh, the founder of our company, Darren Foots, who uh, realized that over 40 billion of these uh, uh, coffee pods were going straight to landfill every year. And uh, this is enough to wrap around the earth 11 times if you stack them end to end. That's crazy. So Darren uh, decided to come up with a fully compostable version that you could just toss right in the green bin and would break down completely once you were uh, finished with it.
1: Right. But I mean, other people have created this too, right? But it seems like other ones have some issues.
0: That's right. So in the compostable pod space, uh, one problem that we found was that very often they weren't keeping air and moisture out very well, which meant the coffee was going stale really quickly unless you wrapped it up in uh, a non-compostable kind of overwrap bag.
1: So how did you fix that problem?
0: So we designed a a kind of two-part solution. So our coffee pod has a a bamboo fiber exterior, which gives it structural rigidity and uh, allows it to you know, keep the shape you need it to keep. Um, and on the inside, there's an engineered bioplastic capsule that's designed to keep uh, air and moisture out and keep the coffee fresh for longer.
1: Okay, so it's, it's one thing to have an idea, Zach, because, I mean, Lord knows I've had enough ideas. But how do you actually make that a reality?
0: So uh, we've got a, a world-class engineering team at our uh, research and development lab in Surrey. And then we combine that with our know-how in chemistry from the University of British Columbia to use uh, plant-based materials to uh, come up with a solution that will meet those criteria. And so you
1: were able to actually manufacture this?
0: Absolutely. So our our solution is 100% uh, Canadian-made. We actually make the materials at at the factory and assemble them uh, into parts and then finally um, fill and seal the coffee pods all at uh, our plant.
1: Okay, so so the coffee, is that the tricky part of this? Like, can you license this technology to other makers?
0: So that's uh, the beauty of it. Our our founder, Darren, actually... uh, Started granville island coffee company so he comes from the coffee industry and has uh, a good knowledge of, of how to brew a good cup so that's very helpful and we've received a ton of interest uh, from from coffee companies both in canada and around the world to uh, package their coffee in our pod
1: really so you will be kind of selling that technology then
0: yeah that's the plan
1: wow okay so this is getting a lot of attention zach are you surprised it took this long for somebody to tackle this
0: uh, I think I'm surprised it took this long to come up with a solution that kept the coffee tasting good.
1: Right. Now, I'm not a coffee drinker, so uh, but I have watched people at work use these things like crazy. Does that drive you crazy when you see people who are using them that aren't
0: compostable? Uh, we, yeah, we don't have one of the machines at uh, home either for exactly that reason.
1: Yeah, okay. So then how do you manufacture this? Like, Was that a a challenge then to find somebody who would manufacture this on the scale that you need it to be manufactured?
0: So uh, believe it or not, um, we're going to be doing all of that manufacturing ourselves, and it absolutely has been a challenge. So one of the company's key advantages is all the patents we have in bioplastics manufacturing. It's uh, not easy to do, and it's taken us five years of R&D, but uh, we figured it out, and we're going to be scaling up operations in the next uh, year and more.
1: Wait a minute, so you did all this during the pandemic?
0: Uh, we did a lot of it during the pandemic, Yeah.
1: Okay, what was that like?
0: Uh, it was okay. So the, the uh, factory floor itself is huge. So it's actually pretty easy to keep everybody at work uh, socially distant and, and compliant with public health orders. So we were able to actually keep going full steam ahead uh, pretty well once we just put, you know, some normal COVID uh, safety procedures in place.
1: Right, but it can't be easy launching something like this during a pandemic.
0: Yeah, believe it or not, um, the pandemic has a lot uh, more people making their coffee at home instead of running to, you know, Tim Hortons or Starbucks or that sort of thing. So demand for uh, coffee pots is at an all time high. So uh, I think that the kind of consumers really want to see it and uh, suppliers of of these types of products like your, your Keurig, your Starbucks, and and that sort of thing are increasingly looking for uh, sustainable options.
1: Right. Now, Zach, how compostable is this, right? Because we know that label gets slapped on stuff, but for one of these to go into the landfill, how does it break down?
0: So this is one of the things that we're uh, proudest of. So these things are designed for municipal composting. And in a best-case scenario, they break down in as little as 35 days, which we're very, very proud of. Um, And in an average composting facility, they take about 70 days to break down.
1: So you're saying it can go in the green bin?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, that's different. So Because most people would probably throw it into the landfill, right?
0: Yeah, so in in a landfill, um, it'll take a little longer to break down because the landfill, they just kind of sit there, right? And they might be stuck under a a plastic bag or that sort of thing. So they'll they'll still break down faster than, uh, you know, a regular plastic coffee pod. But they are meant for the green bin and a composting facility.
1: Okay, so how can people or where can people get more information about buying these?
0: So, uh, you can check this out on our website at next.ca. That's N E X E.ca. And uh, about two weeks ago, actually, we launched our first in house brand. Uh, this is called Zoma Superfoods. So, that's X O M A.ca. And uh, you can check that out on our uh, direct to consumer store at the same website.
2: All
1: right. We will do that, Zach. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. That is Zach Hudson, Assistant Professor and Canada Research Chair in Sustainable Chemistry at UBC. Uh, They have created a fully compostable coffee pod, and the kicker here being... The coffee inside is good. So I didn't realize that that was a problem. That if you were environmentally friendly and you were thinking, oh, I need to buy a, a pod that's recyclable and and all of that, that the coffee wasn't necessarily great because it would get stale more quickly. This one is not the case. The website that he just said to uh, let us know about is next.com, next.ca. So N E X uh, E.ca. You can check that out online. Well, we were talking about keeping things out of the landfill right we were just discussing those compostable coffee pods created by UBC and a Surrey company sounds like they're really going places well another thing i hadn't really thought about this one though is uh, people who throw their clothes away and we're talking about fast fashion you know that's gotten really popular the last 10 years less so now i think but definitely in recent years fast fashion was the, what people were buying and that is kind of cheap clothing that is good for like one season maybe a couple of months of wear and then that's it can't really give it to a thrift store because it's just not going to hold up for that. So people just throw those items in the garbage. Well, Metro Vancouver would like people to cut down, actually, on the amount of clothes you throw in the garbage. So they've launched their third annual campaign to get you to think about this. And it's an award-winning program called Think Thrice About Your Clothes. And joining us for more on this is Karen Story, a senior project engineer for Metro Vancouver. Karen, thanks for being here.
3: Thanks for having me. How did this come
1: about then? Is this a, a big problem?
3: Well, we started looking into it back in 2016, and we realized that um, clothing waste is really one of the fastest growing waste streams globally. And um, locally, uh, we see about um, 44 t-shirts per person, the weight of 44 t-shirts per person going to disposal each year. So we wanted to try and tackle that and come up with ways for people to reduce their clothing waste impact.
1: Okay. That's a lot. 44 t-shirts per person. So what happens to that when it goes to the landfill? Does it just kind of clog up everything?
3: Well, luckily, Metro Vancouverites are pretty good at donating their clothes already. I think just a few people, (laughs) and myself included, perhaps before I did the research, are confused about what could be donated. Um, And so even clothing with a hole in it, um, even a sock with a hole in it can be donated. It will be turned into insulation for the auto industry because what happens is you donate your clothes, and then some of them are sold locally in local thrift stores. And then what can't be sold locally is sent to what's called a sorter grader, and they have other markets that um, they can access to turn it into recycled materials or to sell it overseas.
1: Does it matter what material your clothes are made of?
3: No, it doesn't matter. Um, almost everything can be donated um, as long as it's clean and dry. The only thing that can't really be donated are things that are um, have things like paint or oil on them just because those types of things can be hazardous to the workers. So we just want to make sure as long as it doesn't have any weird chemicals on it or something like that, you can donate it clean and dry to places on MetroVancouverRecycles.org. Oh,
1: okay. So that's where people should go. Because I think a lot of times people have, I, I donate to a thrift store or I get an organization to come by and pick stuff up. But do people? do you think this is kind of the kind of program that people don't know enough
3: about? Uh, Yeah, so I think some people like yourself already know where to donate, um, and so we encourage you to continue to do that, but if you're kind of new to donation and you haven't tried it before, you can go to mbrecycles.org and type in clothing, and it will give you places that take reusable clothing as well as places that take non-reusable clothing, that, that sweater with a hole in it or that stained pair of jeans that you wish you hadn't dropped mustard on. So. Those are all things that can be donated.
1: Interesting. So you said this is the third year this is happening. What kind of success has the program had?
3: Well, we've um, had a lot of feedback on our Facebook Live, which I found very exciting working with local um, menders to teach people about how they can repair and alter their clothes. Sometimes one of the best things to do to reduce clothing waste is just to look into our existing closets and refresh something already in there. Um, We've also had some folks come on and talk to us about local thrifting to kind of understand how you shift from going to uh, the retail store to also checking out your local thrift store for options for reuse.
1: Hmm. Okay, so then what is that website again for people to check out? Um, It's clothesaren'tgarbage.ca. Well, that's easy to remember. Okay, thank you, Karen, for your time on that. Thank you. That's Karen Story, senior project engineer from Metro Vancouver and a member of the Zero Waste Implementation Team. garbage.ca. That's pretty straightforward, right? I know I'm long overdue to clean out my closet. I'm actually kind of surprised I haven't done it with the pandemic and everything, but there have been so many other little projects to work on. Uh, But some thrift store is going to get lucky when I do because there's a lot of stuff I don't wear anymore, a lot of stuff I don't fit anymore, that is going to go into those bags and get donated. Donated. What they don't want you to do is to throw your clothes in the garbage. Uh, there's a lot of other things that can be done, even if you, even if what you have is unwearable by someone else. There are still ways that, that can be looked after. So to check that out online, and uh, you can figure out where to donate those clothes. Is there ever a good time for a politician to vote themselves a pay raise? I happen to think that yes, there is. To me, it's all about how it gets done. Tell us why. Make it open. Here's why we think we need the raise. Here's what we're going to do. That is not what happened recently at the Vancouver School Board. We're going to talk more about this now with Patty Backus, education columnist and former chair of the VSB. Patty, thanks for being with us this morning.
2: Oh, my pleasure, Simi. How did we find out about this raise? Um, I was listening to the public meeting of the Vancouver School Board, which was streaming online on Monday night. And a regular part of the board meeting agenda is a, um, a reading out of decisions that had been made in private sessions. Those are in-camera, closed-door, confidential meetings. So the chairperson, uh, Carmen Cho, was reading out her report as the chairperson of decisions that had been made, and she referenced uh, a retroactive adjustment to trustee pay that had been uh, made in a uh, previous meeting which piqued my interest um, because I don't recall uh, the Vancouver School Board actually has um, I believe in my day it was a bylaw that trustee pay was adjusted annually based on a cost of living formula so the trustees didn't need to actually vote on it, it automatically in line with um one of the public indexes of inflation rates would would be adjusted to that so trustees weren't in a position of of voting their own raises i think there's probably a good reason for them voting this time but not for doing it in a in a private meeting yeah. uh, there have been tax changes to how trustee pay is treated by revenue canada which means a portion that used to be taxed uh free uh, i believe is now taxable so some boards have been adjusting the trustee pay so they're staying at the same rate although it's costing their their districts more money Uh, which could have all been explained in a public debate in a public meeting and the vote taken publicly, which is certainly my concern is the lack of transparency around the decision making. Well, that's
1: what I was thinking, too. I mean, you just explained it very well. There is it sounds like a legitimate issue for this raise. But when it's done away from, you know, public eyes and then done retroactively, I understand, too.
2: Yes, uh, I was surprised that they made it retroactive for over two years to January 2019. So that has implications for adjusting previous year budgets. Uh, this money all comes out of the same pot that pays teachers and heats the schools. So somewhere, somehow, they have to. It's not a lot of money, but again, it's the principle that these discussions. The other problem with doing this kind of business behind closed doors, and we don't know how much they're doing. I mm-hmm. I understand it a lot more than it was certainly in my day, which is concerning. Uh, the rules under the School Act are not that clear that I think boards have a lot of flexibility if they decide to do things behind closed doors they do it and a lot do which is not good I don't believe um, the other piece is if there was a trustee who opposed this or didn't agree with it they're not allowed to say that now anything that happens in an in-camera meeting you're you're you have a secrecy commitment uh, so you can't even say how you voted yourself which is problematic as well so right maybe I... trustees were horrified by this but they're bound by confidentiality they can't they can't put that on the record so now I know that you are Democratic
1: I know you follow along with all the Vancouver school board meetings uh, and have you noticed this like how did you even get this confirmed' it's, it's difficult to get I find an answer from them.
2: Well, it's that's another very troubling uh, shift. Uh, I mean, you know, in my day, I've, reporters called me. I took the call personally. Um, my cell phone was listed on the school board website. I was available early morning, late evening, because people have deadlines. And that's the job of the chair. You're the board spokesperson. Uh, now I've asked questions of the chair. They have to be sifted through communications, and they may or may not answer. I even asked, you know, how many kids were waitlisted for kindergarten last week, and they're refusing to release even that, which seems... Crazy, um, yeah. The 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 chair should be talking to you right now, explaining this, and be very available to answer those kinds of questions. But that's not happening either. I did email uh, the chairperson, and uh, she did confirm that that yes, that that had happened in the camera um didn't give me a lot of information beyond that and mm-hmm. uh you know the public this is the public's money and the public has a right to know how public bodies and elected officials are spending it particularly when they're choosing to spend it on themselves
1: all right good point patty thanks so much for your time
2: my
1: pleasure. Thanks, that, Jimmy. That's Patty as education columnist, former chair of the Vancouver School Board. Uh, politicians and pay raises, I know, is a very contentious subject, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't have a problem with a pay raise per se, provided it's done the right way in public, justified, explained, voted on. So we know exactly what happened and why it happened. It is our money after all, we did ask for a comment, a discussion, an interview with the chair of the Vancouver School Board, and we got no response at all to our inquiry about that. Uh, So yeah, this is not the way to do it, by the way, Vancouver School Board. Uh, And uh, yeah, still waiting to hear back when that request was made late yesterday afternoon. So we'll let you know if anything changes on that. You want to weigh in? Send me at cknw.com.